Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, today we're up to part six in our series called Being, and we're using Paul's letter to the church in Rome as a background to help us understand how we can more effectively be the church that God has called us to be. So reading today from Romans 6 and 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we too will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace." Friends, there is one thing that every single one of us this morning viewing this have in common, and that is our struggle with sin. And can I say, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're not yet a Christian, we all have to face and have to deal with this issue of sin. Sin is a problem. Temptation is a problem. And it's a problem that every one of us faces. The question is, what do we do with sin? How do we deal with sin? You know, I heard the story about four pastors who used to meet together regularly just for accountability and uh, just to chat through some of the wrestles that they might have been having. And the first pastor said, well, let me be really honest about my sin. The problem is uh, I turn up to church and I behave one way on a Sunday, but then I know I go home and I've got a real problem with anger. And uh, I, I know that I just struggle to control that and I must be, uh, you know, really difficult to live with. The second pastor said, well, let me make a confession. He says, I actually enjoy a little bit too much wine a little bit too often. The third pastor said, well, you know, uh, let me be honest. He says, sometimes I call in sick and I go and play golf instead because I actually just really love my golf. Now, the fourth guy sat there really quietly and they said, well, come on, uh, let, let us share. This is a safe place. Uh, let me share your problems. And he says, well, I really don't want to. I'd rather not. But they encouraged him and they encouraged him. And they said, OK, uh, my big weakness is that I love to gossip. And I tell you, I can't wait to get out of here. Friends, that's a funny story, but all of us have our problems. We all have our sins. There are issues that you would struggle with that I probably wouldn't have a problem with. And there are things that I probably wrestle with that wouldn't be a problem to you at all. But how are we going to deal with this issue of sin? I would suggest there are two main attitudes to dealing with sin 
that you often find in the church. Uh, and Paul actually addresses both of these in Romans chapter 6. On the one hand, there's what we call legalism. And then on the other hand, there is what we might call license. So let's dig into this. Legalism is really common, very common in the church. And it's a very, very easy position to adopt. Legalism in its extremest of forms is basically reducing the Christian life to living by a set of rules and we feel very secure in those rules because we live in the boundaries that those rules give us. Legalism is very, very black and white. It focuses on law. It focuses on uh, behavioral expectations that result from keeping that law. The greatest example of legalism in the Bible we see uh, in the behavior of the Pharisees. They were great legalists and they judged people based on whether people were living according to their own standards, which interestingly were standards even higher, far above what the law prescribed. But then Jesus was forever poking holes in the hypocrisy of their own behavior, called them hypocrites. Unfortunately, there are still many legalists in the church today, and that's one extreme that Paul addresses in this chapter. The other extreme is license. License says because God is so incredibly kind, because God is so merciful and gracious, and because I have been justified, because I'm eternally secure, it doesn't really matter how I live anymore. I can sin and I can keep coming back to God. I can confess it and he will cleanse me and I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'm going to go to heaven anyway. And so I can live the way that I want. In fact, if we back up to Romans 5 and 20, Paul says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So the more sin, the more grace. So it seems to support the argument for license. But then he writes in Romans 6 and 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Now, that kind of sounds like a logical argument. But then he immediately answers it in verse 2. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So Paul rejects both extremes. He rejects legalism and he rejects license. Romans 6 and 14 for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. So right there, he is dealing with the issue of, of uh, legalism. Then in verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. And there is license dealt with. So he's dealt with legalism. He's dealt with license. So what's the answer? Is there some kind of middle ground where it's law, but there's a whole bunch of extra grace thrown in, or it's license with a few boundaries, a little bit of restraint to stop us going too far, or is it something totally different altogether? Well, I want us to dig into this because I think we will discover that it's something totally different. Because as we look at this passage in chapter 6, there are things that Paul says we need to know and there are things that Paul says we need to do. So let's look at, first of all, the things we need to know. Verse 2, he says, We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, if we continue to uh, dig into this passage, we discover six times Paul describes us as having either died with Christ or having died to sin. 
Uh, big question, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have died with Christ? And many of us, perhaps it's a familiar concept and we've, we've heard about it time and time again, become a little bit too familiar with it. It's a little bit of noise in the background and we don't fully understand it. It's just become a doctrine that we agree with, but there's no practical outworking of that. So what does it mean to have died with Christ? Firstly, let me say it's not literal <laughs> in the sense we don't need to be physically crucified with him. It's not a physical dying. Uh, in fact, it's not something that we have to do. Neither is it just some kind of state of mind that it's something in some kind of figurative way uh, about kind of dying to myself. It's about denying myself, about disciplining myself. It's about taking captive every thought. Friends, can I tell you, it is far more exciting than that. It comes back to something that we've been talking about in recent weeks, and that is our position before God. It is our position in Jesus. And the simplest way that I can put this is that what happened to Jesus is legally regarded as having happened to us. Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. To be united, friends, is to be one with him, to be made one with him. To be made one with him means that what is true of Jesus, God declares to be true of us. And you've got to get a hold of this. Here's the great thing. On the cross, something more than Jesus just dying took place. In fact, I died in Christ. I was united with him. That is, as far as God is concerned, if the wages of sin is death, because I am one with Jesus, because I am united with him, and because Jesus has paid those wages, it means I too have paid those wages because I'm united with him in his death. You see, whenever the Bible talks about um, the Christian being crucified, it's always in the past tense. Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. They are all past tense statements. That's why Paul says in Romans 6 and 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And this is something beautiful about the picture of, of, of baptism. It symbolizes exactly what Paul is talking about. We go into the water, symbolizing his burial, and we come up out of the water, symbolizing his resurrection. And Paul says, when you were baptized into Christ, you became a participant in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And these are the things that Paul says we need to know. And uh, not just relevant to his readers, we need to know this just as much today. You need to know that all the guilt that comes from sin can be lifted from you because you have been crucified and buried and raised again to a new life in Jesus. And that's what it means to be crucified with Christ. It means to be in union with Him, uh, uh, one with Him. It means that what was true of Jesus on the cross becomes true of me. But what does it mean then to be to have died to sin. 
which is the other thing that Paul talks about here. Verse 2, we died to sin. Verse 6, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Uh, Does it mean we can walk around living some kind of perfect sinless human life? No, it doesn't. Romans 6 and 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He's basically saying, even though we are united with Jesus uh, and united in his death, raised together in new life and in his resurrection, the issue of sin is still something that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, Romans 6 and 10 says, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. It's interesting that when the Bible talks about death, it's almost always associated with uh, sin or the consequences of sin. And we see this right from the very start of the Bible in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were told, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. They disobeyed God. Genesis 3 and 3, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. That's what's called the first death. And on that day, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead physically. They died spiritually. They became separated from the life of God. And from that point on, sin and death are connected right through the pages of God's word, right up until the very end in Revelation 21, 8, where it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, Uh, they will be placed in the fiery lake of of burning sulfur. That's the second death. It's the second death. And again, sin leads to death. And Paul writes in Romans 5 and 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Romans 6.22, the wages of sin is death. Let me ask you a question. What is sin's power? Friends, sin's power is is death. What can sin do to you? It can destroy you. It can kill you. Its result is death. But when verse 10 says Christ died to sin, what that means is that the death of Jesus satisfied the demands of sin. The wages of sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus received in full the wages of sin. And having died, having received the wages of sin, sin no longer owes him anything. He has died to sin. He has died to all of sin's consequences. And because you and I, if you are a Christian, because you and I are one with Jesus, because Jesus was our substitute, listen to this, all the demands that sin makes on us have been fully met. It's wages fully paid and it no longer will have any power over you because the power of sin is death. And when we died to sin, doesn't mean we don't face it, doesn't mean we don't wrestle with it, but it will no longer have the power to destroy you that it once had. And that's why in verse 6, he writes, um, Romans 6 and 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And friends, it's a great picture. There is one way to be freed from sin, and that is dying. And that's how you are freed from sin. Because we are one with Jesus, we have died. 
And so although sin's power is still there, although we still battle with it, it is not going to destroy you because we have a new identity. We are one with Jesus. And this is the really cool thing. In verse 4, he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In verse 8, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And friends, I, I encourage you, I hope you're getting a hold of this this morning. Not only was Jesus our substitute in death, he died for us. He is also our substitute in life. He now lives in us. And get this, the life that Jesus lives through us by his Holy Spirit is now a life which cannot die. It is now a life which sin cannot touch. Romans 6 and 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Why does death no longer have mastery over him? Because he's already died and he's always be, already been raised again from the dead. And that's why although Adam could die spiritually through sin, you and I do not die spiritually. Why? Because the life we have received in Jesus has already died. It's already been buried. But it's also, praise God, been raised again. And we are living now a risen life in Jesus who has paid in full the wages of sin and conquered it. Friends, it is done. I hope you can rejoice. This is fantastic news. We need to know this and we need to understand this. And Paul says to his readers, don't you know? Well, for us, I pray that we do know that we are getting a hold of this, that God is, is, is writing this upon your heart. But then to make that work, we need to know how to respond to it. Paul says there's something you need to know, there's something you need to do. And we'll pick that up in the next part of this series. Romans 6 and 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Now notice there he presents two alternatives. You can, you can be, he says, an instrument of wickedness, or you can be an instrument of righteousness. And we'll dig into what that means next time. So friends, the answer to sin, what do we do with sin? It's not legalism. It's not just this disciplined living governed by rules and laws. The answer is not legalism, nor is it licensed some kind of cheap grace that just lets me live any way I want to live. They are two very easy options, but they are very two, two very human responses. It's not legalism. It's not license. Friends, it is life. Life in Christ is the answer to the sin question. The life of God lived in us by his Holy Spirit. That, if you like, he plays us as his instruments and reproduces in us his own character, his own righteousness. Friends, you've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with him. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. And we'll continue to talk about this next time. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that sin no longer has power over us. Its wages have been fully paid at the cross. 
I thank you because we are one with Jesus, because I am united with him, that the cross and the demands of at the cross, the demands of my sin have been fully met because I have been crucified with Jesus. And I pray, Father, that every one of us viewing this today will know this experience that we would present ourselves to you every day, that that your Holy Spirit would fill us and reproduce in us the life of Jesus. And as he does that in us, that we would in every way be the church that you have called us to be. Make this real for us, I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. God bless you.